There's only one Fleet Street Fox column this week due to the bank holiday. So here's a news story instead from Monday, August the 28th, 2022. Boris Johnson told, it's time to deliver justice for Britain's nuclear test veterans. Politicians and celebrities have joined forces with survivors of Britain's nuclear tests to ask the Prime Minister to deliver justice in his last week in Downing Street. They've written Boris Johnson an open letter, urging him to decide whether to turn his back on our national heroes or honour them before the 70th anniversary next month of the UK's first atomic bomb. The PM met families affected by the Cold War radiation experiments in June, but with only days left in Downing Street, has yet to make any announcement about the medal they asked him for. Both his potential successors have said they support it, but no decision has been made, with officials on leave and all eyes on the leadership campaign. Mirror editor Alison Phillips said, It is imperative this medal is delivered quickly, because these veterans are over 80 and have complex health problems. The window is closing for this PM to make a real difference to their need for recognition. Labour leader Sakir Starmer, who met the veterans a year earlier than the PM and promised them his support, said... It's appalling that Britain's nuclear test veterans and their families have not yet had justice after years of maltreatment, and I'm saddened that their long campaign is exceeding the life of so many of them. The PM has a very clear choice now, deliver on his promise to give real recognition ahead of the October 3rd Plutonium Jubilee, or turn his back on our national heroes. He added, the country owes a huge debt of honour to these veterans. The PM must act to deliver the appreciation, respect and justice they deserve, and Labour will continue to support their campaign every step of the way. The medal committee has been given fresh evidence to help its decision. Government insiders have told the Mirror that they have been trying to force a medal through, but they have met a brick wall of officialdom made worse by the Tory turmoil. All it takes is for Boris to give this his attention, said one. If he just asked the Queen, it could be done in a week. The letter has been signed by dozens of MPs, peers, famous faces and everyone who was at the meeting with the Prime Minister. They include Operation Grapple veteran John Morris, 85, who saw four nuclear explosions and told Johnson, it's the ideal moment, Prime Minister, for you to look me in the eye and tell me you deserve a medal. Or say, sod off. Nuclear descendants Steve Purse, Alan Owen, Laura Jackson and Laura Morris have signed, along with Tory grandee Sir John Hayes and Labour's Rebecca Long-Bailey, who secured the meeting between them. Backing them are broadcaster Kirsty Olsop and comedians Al Mari, Rory Bremner and Mark Steele. Call the midwife star Stephen McGann and its scriptwriter Heidi Thomas also supported the call after a nuclear veteran featured in two series of their show. McGann earlier likened the scandal to Hillsborough and called on the PM to cut through the pooterish nonsense that meant they were denied a medal. Other supporters include Shadow Defence Secretary John Healy, Shadow Attorney General Emily Thornbury and SNP leader Ian Blackford along with 47 other MPs from Labour, the SNP and Conservative Party, and the Metro Mayors Andy Burnham, Dan Jarvis and Steve Rotherham. The veterans are also backed by Tory, Labour and crossbench peers, Ruth Davidson, Shami Chakrabarti, John Hendy, Prem Sikha, Christine Blower, Pauline Bryan and Saida Warsi. Here is the letter in full. Dear Prime Minister, In June this year, you made history as the first Prime Minister to meet with Britain's nuclear test veterans and their families, to look them in the eye and listen to their stories. You promised to deliver justice and ordered your officials to resolve their long battle for official recognition. It was hoped you could meet the campaigners again to announce your decision on medallic recognition and a national service of commemoration at Westminster Abbey in the short term, with further scientific research, educational provision and war pension reform considered in the longer term. 
But less than a month after veteran John Morris, his granddaughter Laura and descendants Steve Purse, Alan Owen and Laura Jackson met you and your team in your parliamentary office, you were forced to resign. The meeting with which you made history is now at risk of being consigned to a footnote, another lost opportunity to end the longest running scandal in our island story. The new Prime Minister will be sworn in on September the 5th. As you will recall, the 70th anniversary of the first bomb test falls on October the 3rd. While both contenders for your role have followed your lead in backing a medal and other recognition, this delay is proving costly for the veterans and their families. Due to their age and complex health problems, one of these mistreated heroes dies on average every week. They die with the same anger and disappointment as those who went before them. The same rage you witnessed when John told you about the death of his baby Stephen. The same sorrow of Laura who lost her father and brother to the effects of radiation. And the same fear Steve still feels for the health of his son, Sasha. That cloud must be lifted soon and you have the power to make it happen today. We implore you in your final week's impost to make a decision that will deliver meaningful recognition in time for the Plutonium Jubilee. It will be supported by your successor, your party, both Houses of Parliament and the nation as a whole. It will mean everything to these families. This could be the last and finest thing you can do in office as Prime Minister. The clock is ticking for the nuclear veterans and we look to you for justice. Yours sincerely, the undersigned. And you can add your own name by going to change.org and searching for Justice for Nuclear Test Veterans, where you'll find our petition where the public can add their own names to that letter. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, September the 2nd, 2022. Liz Truss or Boris Johnson, which maniac do you want in charge of your demise? When he resigns in the tartan kitsch fest of a Balmoral drawing room on Tuesday morning, it will have been precisely 1,000 days since Boris Johnson won a general election with such a whopping majority he should have been safe for a decade. Spaffing his premiership up the wall, in less time than it took for Henry VIII to decide Anne Boleyn was too tall with that crown on her head, is an historically rapid failure. It cannot be blamed on the psychosis of a deranged spouse, religious schism or world events. Boris got bounced by his own balderdash. Although his wife's wallpaper choices didn't really help. Into the royal knick-knack horror show will stride Liz Truss, a woman utterly convinced of her own abilities, although few of us have noticed one beyond inadvertent meme creation. She's blonde, she wears power suits, she spends too much time thinking about earrings and hats, and she's been in government for 10 years, holding jobs where she has done little of note beyond a victory dance when Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe was finally freed by a payment the government had been told to make six years previously. Truss is a Thatcherite Ali McBeal, a reboot that should have stayed in the 1990s when no one was gay or bipolar, office sex pests were charming eccentrics and people who would fail as baristas were somehow working as barristers. Had anyone said a thousand days ago that Johnson would blow it in less than three years, none but his ex-wives would believe you. And if you had added that his popularity would peak when he was in hospital close to death, Brexit would be all but forgotten in the chaos of a pandemic, there'd be war in Europe and then things would actually get worse, someone would gently lead you aside and ask where the nurse kept your pills. Tory MPs decided Johnson had to go, 
not because of anything he did wrong, which was most of it, but because he didn't do what was right when told his whip needed whipping. Tory members, who, it seems, think allegations about sexual assault of Tory staffers are unimportant, wanted Johnson to stay. Faced with a choice between a man married to a tax bodger and one of the few Tory women to have been busted for shagging, they went again with a shagger. And what both MPs and members have failed to note is what's going on inside their own heads, as well as ours. A crisis makes socialists out of all of us, and we now live in a world where conservatives are causing the problems they always used to blame Labour for. The Tories are presiding over drought and a winter of discontent, where public services are not fit for purpose because of Tory policies, and where Tory voters want handouts, subsidies and public ownership of utilities. The world has become, for 10 years at least, more socialist. We're two years in and the Tories still haven't figured it out. They paid people not to work in the pandemic, then cut benefits because people who can't work must be punished. They handed out massive state subsidies to all sorts of businesses, then raised corporation tax and national insurance to make companies give more money to the government. They're in an absolute spin, confronted by collapsing walls of support in the North and South, which both want more money delivered in different ways by a government which doesn't want to spend any. And this is the time they elect Maggie McBeal. What are they thinking? It's like Anne Boleyn buying Henry an axe for Christmas. This winter, we'll be asked to choose the form of our own destruction. Would you prefer to freeze to death or starve? Would you like to cancel your direct debit and collapse the energy suppliers? Or would you prefer it if your employer went bust and you became homeless, which would reduce your energy bill to zero? Without help, the Tories are ideologically incapable of delivering. Steelworks they don't see the point of will shut down after October. Foreign companies that own car factories will mothball them for six months to avoid becoming uneconomical to run. Schools and hospitals handed control of their own budgets, as well as a regulatory responsibility to not go bust, will cut staff and heat and light. Those already struggling will close. Train companies will cut services. Bus companies will cut buses. Local authorities will close leisure centres and swimming pools. And local sports clubs will shut off the floodlights. Care homes will close. The NHS will have yet more it cannot do. And TikTok will be a light with hacks for the lecky meter. And that's just outside the house. Inside, people will face months without pay and energy bills of thousands. Homeschooling will resurface along with home dying, domestic abuse and the sort of desperate anger which leads to riots. The only way to avoid that is to give money to people. You can bail out energy companies or pay households or give discounts, but it amounts to the same thing. Crisis socialism. Perhaps they'll do it, but they probably won't. And whatever is done will be so magnificently half-assed they might as well have not bothered. When Boris Johnson saw off Jeremy Corbyn so resoundingly in 2019, he rendered Labour more electable. When he tried to force through Brexit without Parliament, he made it more sovereign. And whether they try or not to solve the energy crisis, by this time next year, it'll turn out to have lined the pockets of party donors and killed lorry loads of pensioners. The world has changed, but the Tories haven't. And the one thing a worryingly large majority of them cannot yet see is that whichever maniac they put in charge of our demise, it'll end them too. These are the Tory end times. The only question is who will live to see it.